Turn in your Bibles today to Psalm, not Psalms, but Psalm 41. It's a book of Psalms, but I just want you to turn to the one. We're not going to read the whole thing today. It was just, just Psalm 41. This is actually the last Psalm in the first set of books. Chapter 41 is one of the last Psalms in the first set of books, and David wrote this one specifically. Not all of them were written by David, but David did write this one specifically. As you're turning there and, and, and readying to hear today's message, I just want to remind you of the first four core values that we have as a church. Okay, number one, we spent two weeks on this first one. It's, it's really important to us. It's pretty much the foundation of every other one that we have. Number one, delight in Jesus. You can go back and listen and listen to those messages. In fact, you'll see all the notes and all the messages on our new website, just like we've had before. It's just a little bit more convenient, um, a little easier to get to. It's still eunicechurch.com. Uh, not because we are the only church in Eunice, but no other church had paid for the domain, so we bought it. And uh, <laughs> so now when you're like, church in Eunice, bam, EuniceChurch.com. Like, we're not at the bottom of the list anymore. It's like, you have to ignore us to not find us. And so, uh, number one value is to delight in Jesus. Number two, foster family. To foster just meant to create an atmosphere that is conducive for the development of family. Like, if you were born... There's not like a bunch of prerequisites, right, for you to be part of the family. Because you were born, you're part of a family. And so here at this church, if someone was born, we want them to be part of this family. No prerequisites, no requirements. We just want them to come as they are, not necessarily stay as they are, but ultimately be born again. One of the ways that we do that is our third value. We honor all. Spent a couple of weeks on that because that was really important to us as well. Talked about the, the spirit of honor one week. And then number four, last week, I shared some of our personal testimony in this area. I really, hear me, I'm not perfect by any means. My, my children... Anybody that spends more than, I, rem, I went on a, a trip to, to Africa a couple of years ago with someone in our church that, that I really liked, and we were great friends, like we got along really well, but he had not spent a lot of time with me. And so I said, hey, look, before we go on this trip, like when we were at the airport, I was like, hey, you're about to get to know like Chris, not like pulpit preacher Chris, but like, and, and I need you to make me a promise before we come back home. I want you to love me as much when we get back here as you do right now. I'm going to do my best, but you're going to see like every side of me uh, away from my family. And I'm sure Kenya will bring all kinds of stuff. But, but so in other words, we like to practice what we preach. It's not always perfect. But I want you to understand when I talk about finances, I'm sharing my personal conviction with you in regards to my personal finances. I'm sharing my biblical conviction with you in regards to corporate finances. And so at this house, we pray that, that we would lead in a spirit of generosity and you would catch it. 
And as a church, we give generously. We ask the Lord to help us lead the way and then also continue in giving generously. Let's keep moving today. If you'll look in Psalm 41, verse 12, King David writing this, he says, but you have upheld me. Now, really important right here is this conjunction at the beginning of this sentence. Okay, that means that he was writing some other things. So we can't just take this one passage and go, that's doctrine, okay? You have upheld me because of, this is a pretty bold statement by King David, because of my integrity. Now, if you heard me praying that, this would sound fairly pharisaical, you know? I mean, this was almost similar to the statement that the Pharisee made in regards to the tax collector, and Jesus made a discrepancy between the heart of the two. So here David's heart in this, he continues, and you set me in your presence forever. So here's what I want to say. I believe that David understood, according to the context of this passage, David understood that the perfection of a child of God is dependent upon the presence of the Father God. The perfection of man is completely dependent upon the presence of our Heavenly Father. Now, why would I say that I believe David understood that? Now, he, he also understood the importance of our integrity. Because of my integrity. You have upheld me because of my integrity. Now, that word integrity in the original Hebrew is T-A-M-I-M, tamim. Okay? It, it really just means made whole or complete, even purity or purified like Jesus did for us in our relationship with him. See, David understood that he was made whole because of his reliance on God and the presence of God. Why would I say that? Because I can look back up at the context, and you'll notice that I do this often to you. I will read you a scripture, and then I will go back up to the verses before that scripture. So look with me in verse 4. He says, As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. And then King David, he wrote, heal me, heal me. Now listen, I don't, I don't think that he meant like selfishly keep me from ever experiencing injury or pain. Now, I don't think that's what he meant at all. I believe that David understood that apart from Christ, he was a dead man walking. I believe that he, he understood, David understood that apart from the righteousness of God, he had no integrity. See, because he's the same king that should have been in war and in battle with his army, but instead he watched another man's wife take a bath on the top of a roof. And when kings go out for war, David stayed home and he saw something that he shouldn't have seen because he was somewhere he wasn't supposed to be. Really, he just wasn't where he was supposed to be. And you need to know that when you're not where you are supposed to be, that is where the enemy will come in and tempt you with things that you're not supposed to do. I don't, that's not even first service didn't get that. That's for somebody. God just gave a prophetic warning in second service. Amen. If you're sitting by somebody who needs a prophetic warning, nudge them and go, hey. <laughs> if you nudge somebody, it's probably you trying to defect that. Pro- Whoa, them. We got them. 
Ah, got him. All right, sorry. <laughs> David says, I don't believe that David was talking about a physical ailment here. I believe that David was talking about a spiritual issue. And then down in verse 12, he says, after this, like, he, he, don't, don't go there, but he says, Lord, be gracious to me and heal me, for I have sinned against you. Hear me, listen, please hear me. You cannot repent of sin that you don't recognize. You must recognize your sin, your fallenness, your lapse of integrity, and then you can ask for forgiveness. Then you can understand that Jesus is an advocate, and then you can repent, which is to turn fully to him and ultimately away from the sin. At the beginning of this series, we said our influence is only as valuable as our integrity. I won't re-preach that. But I do believe that it was the presence of God. It was God's presence that some of you just sensed in that last song that we were just singing. Some of you just sensed during that time of prayer. Some of you sensed right now because you just got anxious as the Holy Spirit began to stir in you. Our influence is only as valuable as our integrity. See, I believe that it was the presence of God that caused David's desire for integrity. Uh, there's a show on right now. I've not seen the show. I'm not saying I wouldn't watch the show. I just haven't seen it. So I can't like recommend it. I don't even know what it's rated. It, it shouldn't be rated TVMA because the person that told me about it is not allowed to watch that. So... Um, <laughs> It should be about the, the around 14, or it's probably 14 because of whom they're doing a documentary on. It's on Netflix right now. It's called Title Town. Uh, some of you are like, oh, yeah, watch that. It's really good, except for all the cussing, kind of like that brownie with poop in it. All right, so anyways, it was, <laughs> it was really good, except for just a little poop. And so <laughs> the show, <laughs> I drank too much coffee between services. The show, the show is about... Coach Prost, okay? It's P-R-O-P. I don't know if you're supposed to say the P or not, S-T. So we're just going to call him Coach Pro. And uh, he's there, and in this show, this was the head coach of Hoover High School. Some of you have heard about this, maybe not. But he took this, this normal place, this high school over in Alabama, and he made them like a national champ, not just state champions, but national championship program, okay? And, and, and he was like on his way to the top of, of the world in high school football coaching and then probably college and maybe even, and who knows where he could have gone. Um, and he was actually interviewing with Coach uh, Nick Saban at the University of Alabama. It's a small school over in Birmingham. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Or, and he was, he was <laughs> hey, don't be bitter, okay? It's okay. It's all right. We're a little brother, and every now and then we pop them where it hurts. It's good. It's all right. Don't worry about it. Just be, be content where you are. Hey, just praise God for one decent night. <laughs> Whew, thank you for Central Michigan. Hallelujah to the Lord. All right. <laughs> all right. Anyways, Coach Probst, okay? Coach Prost was winning and being celebrated, and, and, and there was an interview, a phone call with with Coach Nick Saban, and Coach Saban said, hey, Coach, is it, is it true? Like, you have two families? And he was like, I mean, yeah. Like, he literally, he had a mistress, and then he had a wife. And he had children with his wife, 
and it came to the surface, he had hidden it for years, that he had another family, okay? Not like I had a tough marriage and I'm remarried now and, and, and I, I came from, I came from uh, 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 my parents were divorced when I was two. The best thing that ever happened was when my mom married my stepdad, okay? It's one of the greatest things ever happened in my life. So I'm not, I'm not ostracizing that. I'm certainly not condemning that today. It's not the point. No, this dude had a hidden family. <laughs> not like, whoops, I had a bad relationship. Now I'm remarried. I have stepchildren and stuff. He's like, whoops, I have another family. <laughs> and it came to the surface. And even, there's even some that he would, at the end of a football game, if he won, he would point up at the stands. And somebody was like, hey, what do you point at? Like, when you point and win a game. And it came about, he was pointing to his mistress. Like, that one was for you. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, ultimately, this came out. Nick Saban was like, okay, uh, just wanted to say, bark, you know? And Hoover High School did the same thing. They let him go. And just to show you that your integrity will follow you, he went to Georgia, and he, he did the same thing on the field with the student athletes, and he took this program. It's one of the biggest and best programs in the nation, and he's winning, and he's being celebrated on the field, but off the field. He made too many people mad. And one of them came into a meeting with him, just so happened to be the president of the Booster Club, put his phone on record and had recorded conversation to Coach Prost talking about the money that he needs for this kid and that kid and this thing and that thing and how he needs to, you know, recruit this person and where this and all this stuff. And guess what? The program is now suffering. Why? Because when you have an issue of integrity... It affects you and everybody around you. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write down our fifth core value. Before you write that down, I, I want you to understand that the integrity I present to the Lord is greater than anything I surrender for the Lord. Okay, listen, there's no sacrifice that you can make it's going to be greater than what God has already sacrificed. In fact, the prophet Samuel came to King Saul and he said clearly, the Lord honors obedience over sacrifice. So we understand that the, the integrity that I present to God as a child of God is way more valuable than anything that I surrender and or build and or am celebrated for on behalf of the kingdom of God. In other words, my greatest ministry is to be a child of God and a husband to her. My integrity is my most valuable asset. And so our fifth core value at this church is to operate in integrity. Now listen, I'm not talking about winning through works. I'm not talking about save through what I can, how I can serve. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what King David understood. And I, and I even believe this, and I told our first service this this morning. I believe, and I'm gonna say carefully, and I don't have time to preach this whole point, but I believe that what God wants to do is sometimes and most of the time dependent upon what people are willing to do. Like, you know, Jonah. Like that time that Jesus walked into his hometown and he really cared about those people 
and he did not do many mighty works. It wasn't because he didn't want to. It's because of the willingness of the people in that place. That's why we believe in giving generously, because I know what God wants to do, but I also know that what God wants to do is often dependent upon what people are willing to do and or what people are willing to no longer do. And we believe that one of our values here should be to operate in integrity. Number one, God delivers and develops. God delivers and develops. We're not just, not just a sinner saved by grace. We're not just sinners set for heaven, okay? We are, but that's not all we are. So we're not just delivered from our demonic past, okay? God is currently developing within us for our present and his future, within and through us. Here's the point. 2 Samuel chapter 16. God delivers and develops. Okay, I told you about David. David had a hard time, right? Well, David also had a son from a woman, one of David's many wives. And people are like, why did God allow David to have so many wives? Did he? Hey, listen, don't, don't confuse what God allowed for what God approves. Like, please don't confuse what God permits you to get away with versus what God perfected and wanted to do in and through your life. See, what David did was actually part of the demise of his house. In fact, what David did not do. See, David had a son named Absalom who wasn't the son of Bathsheba. Bathsheba had a son named Solomon. And Solomon became David's favorite, right? Solomon became the one that David poured into and invested in. And, and he was wise beyond any king. But over here was Absalom, who was older and who had been raised in that atmosphere. Absalom had a sister, a full sister, the daughter of David and Absalom's mother named Tamar. David had another son. It was Absalom's half-brother. His name was Amnon. And the Bible says that Amnon was in love with Tamar, his half-sister. Which is, by the way, it always can say, oh, it's so in love. There's two times in Scripture that, that the Bible uses the term in love. Well, we're just not in love anymore. Okay, Samson was in love with Delilah. She gave him a haircut. Didn't work out well. Hey there, Delilah. This is your ex-boyfriend, Samson. All right, so anyways. <laughs> the other time it's used is Amnon was in love with Tamar, and the Bible says, so he tricked her, and she came into him, and, and he forced himself on her. And there's nothing in Scripture that shows that David did anything about it within his own home. And Absalom became furious. Some believe that Absalom was the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. But Solomon was David's favorite. Absalom watched David choose another man's wife over his own mother. Absalom watched David, before we just completely ostracize Absalom for his rebellion, Absalom watched his sister 
be taken advantage of by his half-brother. He watched his father do nothing about it. This guy was angry. Now listen, if you read Absalom's story, it did not give him the right to become dishonorable. It did not give him the right to go and talk about the leader behind his back, to form his own army. You know, like when you go to your coworker and talk about your boss. Or when your teacher walks out of the classroom and you begin to mouth about what they're making you do. Or when your pastor says something that you don't like. <laughs> and you go to another church until that pastor tells you something you don't like. <laughs> My bad. If you've done that, we're so glad you're here today. Was... <laughs> Why don't you stay? Just stay. The Bible says that Absalom set outside of the city gates and he began to complain about the king. And he began to form his own army. And ultimately, this became part of David's demise at that time. And they began to drive King David out of Jerusalem. But they were singing David's songs at one point. And all I can hear is Pastor Michael Todd singing this song. David slayed 10,000. I don't know why he does it this way. And he goes, saw 1,000. It's like, those were the songs. But the people went from singing the songs of David to throwing stones at David. Be careful when you put your hope in people. They were driving David out of the city. David and his army were going down the road. And the Bible says that this man named Shimei, which is a really cool name. I wish he wasn't a bad guy in the Bible. Shimei began to curse at David. Not just cuss, but curse. It's a difference. And they're both bad. And then he began to throw stones. Now, you got to imagine this. Like, you just read through this, like, oh, he's cursing at the, cussing at the king and throwing rocks at him. No, no, no. He's throwing stones at him. He's, like, up on a cliff throwing stones. He's trying to kill the king. I mean, it doesn't matter if you like the government official or not. If you try to kill the government official, you get dead. That's what happens in America. And everybody's like, ha, got him, you know. Not there that day. They were driving him out of the kingdom. And the Bible says David did nothing. And so Abishai, one of David's mighty men, who should have been mad at David too and afraid for his life because of that time that he killed his friend, but he wasn't. He was still there serving David. And Abishai comes up and he's not like, hey man, you want me to deal with that? Like, you want me to stop him? Like, he's, if he, this dude hits me with a rock, like I'm telling you, I'm gonna hurt him. No, 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 Abishai, like he don't play games. Abishai was a bad dude, okay? He wasn't a man's man. He was like a man men were afraid of. And Abishai comes up to David and says, hey, king, you want me to cut his head off? <laughs> Talk about going straight for the jugular, right? He's like, hey, you want me to cut his head off? David's like, uh, or <laughs> maybe. Listen to David's response. I, I'm talking about David, the one who put his own friend on the front line in order to not get caught for the sin that he had committed with his wife. The man that lied to the kingdom and God himself over this issue of integrity. David, who has been delivered and is being developed, says to Abishai, in fact, all of his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite, Saul, King Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin, and Shimei was a descendant of Saul, Leave him alone, David says. Let him curse. I mean, we can't even not post. And David shows 
the rightful response to being persecuted. For the Lord has told him to. Now, what would make David say that unless David was so in touch with God that he realized that only God can allow because only God is in control? See, David trusts more in the Father than he did in his current situation. David trusted more in his heavenly Father, come on, than he did in his American rights. I mean, Israeli, Israeli rights. He trusted more in his sonship than he did in his kingship. I want you to notice that David didn't gather a bunch of people, come up with some signs and charge the steps of the Capitol, protest until he got his way. He didn't go come up with something creative to say to see how many people would like it and share it and then tag 99 friends wishing that he could tag 199 more just so everybody knew how disgusted he was at the twisted persecution of this current society. It's not what he did. It's not what David did. Because he understood honor. I'm not saying that there's not a place for some of those things. I'm just saying that you make, better make sure that your heart's right when you do it. Verse 12, it may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. Here's what David was saying. David is saying, I'd rather have the presence of God than the favor of man. David was saying, listen to me, David was saying, I would rather have integrity than influence. David is saying, God, give me persecution if I must be persecuted, but please do not remove. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. If I have to go through persecution, so be it, as long as I get to stay in your presence. I believe in every season, Jesus is delivering me out of some things, and at the same time, he is developing within me some new things. Every season, Jesus is developing within me something new, as he is continually delivering me out of all the old and listen, if God is not developing in you something new, then you need to hear this prophetic warning today. It is very likely that you are drifting back into the old. Let me say emphatically, and I believe very biblically, I do not believe in once saved, always saved. I believe that you can receive salvation and you can rebel against your salvation. I believe that God has delivered you, and if he is developing you, then you should have confidence of who you are in Christ. But if you are not being developed, you are probably drifting, and you will end up with seven demons worse than the one that you used to have. I'm just using Scripture as my evidence. David believed in operating integrity through God's presence. I believe today we need to identify our issues of integrity. I need to identify my issues of integrity. It's more than skin deep. Like, like leprosy was more than just an issue of the skin, right? It appeared on the surface, but it was really an issue that went way lower. It was way deeper. 
Proverbs 28, verse 6, it says, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. I'm going to leave this up here for a second. I cannot help but think, and I never got to meet this man. He would be known to my father as Papa, which is probably going to be the grandfather name that I inherit. Either that or Fry Daddy, because I really like that one too. (laughs) Actually pray that Jesus comes back before my children are teenagers, much less I'm a grandfather. But should the Lord tarry, hi, I'm Fry Daddy. I had a Papa. My Papa was my great-grandfather. He was my dad's grandfather, my granddaddy's daddy. I never got to meet Papa. I can only see him in my head in pictures, but I can see him very well. And I see his name so clearly, Thomas Fry. So clearly to me is that name because I used to see his name on the side of a pew. Not like a smelly thing, but it was this bench that we used to sit in, in the house of God as we gathered together. You could actually get more people on them than you could in chairs. That's why we had them. Unless it was a lot of, never mind. My, my great-grandfather's name was on the side of a pew in Calvary Missionary Baptist Church. I, would, I remember as a boy, like five to seven years old, I remember sitting in those pews and, and looking in front of me was this hymnal. It was a book with songs in it. You could flip through to the pages, had some like timeless treasures like on a hill far away. Yeah, I done hit some heartstrings today. Another one, it had blessed assurance. Jesus, all this good stuff. What can wash away my sin? Hey, I mean, I just grew up. I like the hymnal, but it was before they could put stuff on the screen. Like, they ain't mad at the screens. Like, it's okay. We still sing that stuff as tags. You had to hold the hymnal. You couldn't even lift both hands. You know what I'm saying? Like, you stuck. <laughs> I just remember when, when my uncle, who was leading worship in that church, his daddy... Papa Thomas Fry had a son leading worship in that church. I remember I would always open up the front of the hymnal because there was several hymnals in Calvary Missionary Baptist Church that said, dedicated to Thomas A. Fry, my great-grandfather. I think of him because my father told me that as a young man, Thomas Fry bought into a gravel truck that now turned into a multi-million dollar business. When I, like multi, multi-million. Like if my grand, great-grandfather would not have sold his half of the partnership of this business, the F-R-E-Ys wouldn't have nothing on the F-R-Y-E's, okay? <laughs> Just telling. Like this is a multi-million dollar business this day and age. Now listen, I'm not saying you can't serve Jesus and oversee a multi-million dollar business. I plan on being one. But I am saying that for my great-grandfather, he could not continue to operate 
according to the lack of integrity that he was operating in. And when he recognized that he could not continue in that direction, in that business, and serve God and his family and do what he felt God called him to do, he would turn and look at Proverbs 28, 6 and say, better is a poor man who has his integrity than when I was crooked even though I could have become rich. It was his heart. I want to say it this way. You need to beware the subtle hints that turn into glaring red flags. What kind of subtle hints? I'll, I'll name them quickly. Secrets. It's a subtle hint that you have an issue of integrity. What are some issues of integrity? Secrets. Now, I'm not talking about like telling everybody everything all the time and you're the person that everybody runs from whenever you come up because they don't know what you're going to say. You know, like they're just trying to enjoy their dinner. They don't want to have a counseling session right there in front of everybody. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about not continuing to hide that thing that you know you need victory over. I'm talking about sharing that secret that you know if you continue to hold on to, it's going to be your demise. Issues of integrity, inconsistency, compromise, complacency, laziness. Greed, lust, envy, comparison. If you find yourself continuing to try to live in what you used to do. Well, man, I used to. No, 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 look. That's not what God has for you. Your glory days are not behind you if you're in the glory of God ahead of you. God still has a plan for you. And we don't live in what we used to do. We live in what God's called us to do. We live in our doing, not in our supposed to be doing. Okay? I'm going to live out my what if so I don't live my life in my rear view mirror wishing I would have. You know what happens when you live in your rear view mirror? You run into things in front of you. Keep your eyes on the road. I can't stand it when people only enjoy things in retrospect because I've so tempted to be one of those people. If you find yourself constantly embellishing, you know, like my fish was this big. Like every time you tell a story, it's a little bit bigger than it was the time before, because that's a lie, okay? Special place for liars. It's called hell. It's not what you want to be okay with. Well, it's just a little white lie. No, no, no. It's training you to be complacent to conviction. If every time that you talk about the conversation that you had with somebody, you tell other people that you say things that you didn't really say. <laughs> Have I got you yet? <laughs> when, when I told them, da, 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 you know you didn't say that. The Holy Spirit's going, you did not say that. And then the person listening to you is like, wow, really? You said that? And you're like... Don't say it, don't say it. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, you didn't. That's an issue of integrity. If you have a lack of honor in your speech, here, let me give you three C's. If you find yourself complaining, comparing, and criticizing more than you contribute, construct, and coach, it's an issue of integrity. Do you complain more than you contribute? Do you compare more than you construct? 
Do you criticize incessantly other people, maybe even some of the most important people in your world? Maybe even yourself. More than you just coach and teach and train? Those are issues. Here's what I've learned. The longer I let ungodly desires stay around, the more bound I become. The longer I try to hide and or cover and or hold on to something that I know I need to give to Jesus, the more bound I become. But when I give it to Jesus, come on, when I give it to Jesus, I realize that he was ready and he was waiting. Number two, your temperament, your temperament is revealed through test. Just a short example, just this past week, um, our pump went out on our septic tank. Some of you don't know what that means, but when you say pump went out on septic tank, that's not good, right? You're like, oh, what happened was instead of everything going out of the pipe and down the hill into the ditch, when the pump goes out, that stuff comes back in where it came from into our currently remodeled bathroom where there was a hole where the toilet is gonna go back on and there was a fountain. <laughs> but it wasn't living water, y'all, I'm telling <laughs> There is a fountain filled with God knows what coming out of the floor in my bathroom. <laughs> it was about 8.45, almost 9 o'clock at night. <laughs> Oh, I'm like, this is, this is bad. This is bad. Now I ran outside and turned the water off and here's where it got worse. <laughs> when you turn the water off, the pressure increases. So a little flood became a great flood. <laughs> so I called my plumber and, and <laughs> I'm telling you, I was like, bro, I'm telling you right now, I got 17,000 feet worth of square foot that we're about to build. You're the plumber. I'm telling you right now, you done one favor with this preacher. He answered the phone at 840 at night. He said, do you have a clean out? Every guy in the room's like, duh, stupid. In the moment, it wasn't coming to me. No, I don't have a clean out. I've got four. I could have opened any of them. <laughs> I opened the clean out, the water went out in the yard instead of into the bathroom. The reason I tell you that story is because it's hilarious and it just happened. <laughs> but in that moment, <laughs> I made two of my three children cry. Not because I hurt their feelings, but because the way I responded to what was happening, it scared them. Like, I didn't lose my mind and start screaming like, oh, that was Megan. That was. <laughs> I just went, we are in so much trouble. This is going to cost so much money. I don't have that much money. <laughs> and they heard me. They heard me. They were watching my response. And I came back in and they were on the bed crying. And I was like, I have failed as a father. I have failed. I went back outside. And I heard the Lord say, your character is revealed under pressure. See, your temperament, your attitude, your true character is revealed under a test. 
when you're tested, it shows who you really are. The Hogan Development Survey, it measures strengths under normal circumstances. I discovered this when I was writing some research in graduate school when, you know, I used to read a bunch of books. That's what grad school is. You pay a university to make you read books and write papers. It's a great deal that they have going. And I discovered the Hogan Development Survey. It measures strengths under normal circumstances versus those strengths under pressure. And, and they say that these strengths under pressure can be powerful derailers. Now, I wasn't in Eunice whenever this happened, but I've heard this story multiple times. There was a train coming through this community. Some of you know this story very well. And it was loaded. It was full. It was ready. It was on the right track. And yet, it, it was set to deliver. It was packed. It was set to deliver. But it was derailed. And instead of delivering, come on, hear me, instead of delivering what it was set to deliver, it was derailed and it caused astronomical destruction. A powerful derailer. You've got this destiny. God has purposed in your heart. He's filled you and you're on the right track. And then all of a sudden your strength under pressure is derailed. And everybody around you suffers. Overcoming the Dark Side of Leadership, a book written by Gary McIntosh, he describes, he actually defines a derailer this way. He says, a derailer is an unexamined urge of our personality. This is an unexamined urge. That's why David wrote, test me, oh God. Try me. Know my thoughts. Right? Because he understood what he had done when he left himself unexamined. An unexamined urge of our personality unknown to us until experiences cause us to search for a reason why. A derailer, like a passionate person, an excitable person, full of charisma, or a compassionate person that empathizes with other people and, and connects to other people. Under pressure, that passionate person becomes emotionally unstable and scares people. Under pressure, the empathetic, compassionate person begins to just connect with whoever will connect with them and, and ends up getting stuck in relationships they're not supposed to be in and stuck in circumstances that they should have walked away from. Your strength, the person and the way that God created you to be under pressure becomes a derailer for your divine destiny. So here's what I believe. I believe that disciples confront derailers. I believe that a follower of Jesus watches and prays and stays alert you remember when Jesus said that? He was talking about the last days, which many people believe that we're in currently. He didn't say, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, write your senator. I'm not saying there's not a place for that. He didn't say, when you see Jerusalem, when you see these things happen, freak out and lose your mind and start blaming all the evil people. No, no, no. He said, when you see these things happen, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Disciples confront derailers. 
Instead of being derailed by them, we drive right through them in the name of Jesus. We drive right through them in the power of God. And the devil goes, that was supposed to derail them. And the Holy Spirit says, got you again, son. That's why you're not me. Number three, shine the light on it. Shine the light on it. I quote this passage often, John chapter one, verse one. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He, I love that, verse two. He, wait, 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 I thought we were talking about the word. Yeah, he was there in the beginning. He created all things and in him all things were created. In him was life and the life was the light of man. Then he says, the light shines brightest in the darkness. Shine the light on it. Stop trying to hide it in a corner. Stop trying to hide it in that room that you don't want other people to go in. <laughs> Where's the bathroom? Down the hall. No, 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 right there. Not right there. The next door. The next door. Look, Jesus knows what's in that room. <laughs> Shine the light on it. Shine the light on it. Stop just assuming that you're going to get away with it. You're not. The devil is going to wait for your most influential moment to expose you. And it's going to ruin you and your family and your friends and your influence. And for a season, for a season, it's going to cost you a great consequence. But then God is going to move in. And he's going to walk with you through that season. And he's going to deliver you from even your own lack of discipline. And then he's going to begin to develop within you the things that he created to develop within you. I came home. I think it was about the middle of the day. And I walked through the door and there was a pistol laying on the entertainment center underneath the TV. And I was like, I don't think I did that. It was my pistol. I have guns, a lot of them. <laughs> I like them. People are like, oh, dude, you like guns? Yeah, yeah, I like guns. You want to go shoot? No. I like my ammo. <laughs> you don't want to go shoot? No. Ammo's expensive, bro. I'll give you the ammo. Let's go shoot, Jack. Let's go. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I came home. I'm four good guys with guns. That's another, that's not even a sermon. It's not even in the Bible. <laughs> just, I'm just for it, okay? I came home. There was a pistol on the entertainment center. And I do a lot of things. My wife would attest to this. I leave a lot of things laying around. It happens. Yeah. My mother trained me. I really hope she's not watching. So it was, it was, it was, probable that I had done it, but I was like, I don't normally leave loaded guns laying around. Like I put them somewhere where I know where they are. That way, if bad guy comes in, good guy wins. Okay. So there's, but there's the gun. And I'm like, Hey babe, she's in the back. I said, why is this gun in here? And she hollers back down the hall. I'll tell you why that gun's in there. And I left. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't leave. <laughs> I was like, Okay, and every sarcastic bone in my body wanted to go, that's what I asked. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that because we have filters for a reason, okay? She said, 
you left the door open this morning. I was like, uh, it's my story. It's my story. She said, you left the door open this morning. And I said, I'm pretty sure we were all here. I think we all went out this door this morning. You left after us. We're like, y'all left it open. It's like literally she's saying, I left the door open. <laughs> okay. So she came home and the door was open. And there was a lot of people that would come by our house. So she comes home and apparently I didn't answer the phone, <laughs> which made me in more trouble. So anyways, she took a gun and she began, I don't know if she saw this on like CSI or <laughs> what she's been watching, but she took the gun and she went in the house and she began to make sure every room was secure, one room at a time. She walked through the house with a loaded pistol and turned on the lights. I can just hear her. Is anybody in here? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> As she turns on lights and opens up closets, like, guys, if somebody would have been in there, <laughs> I don't think they'd be dead, but I'd have a hole in my wall. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> if a cat would have jumped out from behind the, what, if anything would have happened, like, pow, you know? <laughs> She turned every light on. She looked in every corner. Is anybody hiding in here? Is anything hiding in here that is not supposed to be on? As I close today, I need to ask you, is there an area of your life in your house where the enemy is hiding and he is waiting for you to fall asleep so at just the right moment he can attack you and all you had to do was take the weapon of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, turn on the light and drive that thing out of there. It's your house. Ultimately, it's his house. Turn the light on. And don't let the enemy hide in a corner. Don't let the enemy hide in a closet. Expose the issue. Confess your sin to God. And he is faithful and just to forgive. 1 Peter 1.14, Peter in the New Living Translation, he says, so you must, you must live. Please hear the heart of this pastor that believes his number one calling is to lead people into an authentic relationship with God. An authentic relationship with Jesus. I don't care how many prayers you've prayed. I don't care how many altars you've come to. Are you living for Jesus? That's all that matters. You must live as obedience, as obedient children. Integrity is not an option. I don't care how many other people are addicted. I don't care how many other people let people touch them. I don't care how many other people live together. I don't care how many other people are getting drunk. I don't care how many other people cuss. I don't care what environment you were raised in. I'm telling you that God has more for you. You must live. You must live. It's not an option in a more evil generation. You must live. Oh God, be gracious to me and heal me for I have sinned. 
You must live, the apostle says, as obedient children, don't slip back. Do not go back to the former way of living. Be delivered and developed. Do not go back. Do not drift away into your old way of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. David, looking back over his life, he says, if God drives me out, then God drives me out. I'd rather be persecuted than walk out of the presence. I'd rather be tested by a holy God than get away with an unholy attitude. Shine the light on it. Self-awareness will keep me from being surprised by sin. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew in me a right spirit. Cast me not away, O oh Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. I want to ask you this question today in closing. What are your derailers? What does the enemy want to use? What is he currently using? That if you don't acknowledge that as an issue of integrity, confess it and repent, he's going to expose you. He's going to derail your God-given destiny. What is your derailer? Number two, how can I safeguard my influence? What boundary do I need to establish in my marriage? Hey, what boundary do I need to establish in my singleness? Before marriage, outside of marriage. What boundary do I need to establish in who I'm willing to hang out with? On what terms I'm willing to hang out with some people? What boundaries, what safeguard, what accountability? Man, I've never met with somebody who has fallen and made a sinful decision and suffering the consequences and they go, man, I, I, you know, I think my boundaries were just too high, pastor. I think I had too many people checking in on me. I was just way too honest. Said nobody ever when they were standing before Jesus. How can I safeguard my influence? I wanna invite you to bow your head, close your eyes, ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit, God, what can we do? If you're in the room right now and you're not following Jesus, I can promise you that he is standing with open arms waiting for you to give your life to him or give your life back to him. Can you see the arms of the Father waiting on King David? He doesn't love King David more than he loves you. Can you see the arms of Jesus waiting for you to turn away from your current direction and turn to him? If you can and if you will, give your life to him today. 
I want to invite you to open your hands right where you are in a posture of surrender. And you go ahead and begin to pray to your heavenly Father in the name of Jesus. You go ahead and begin to ask. You go ahead and begin to confess right now. And you know that God is faithful and just to forgive. Church, I want to invite you to pray out loud. And if that's you today, and you know you need to give your life to Jesus, you know you need to get on track with God, I want to invite you to confess this prayer out loud with your new family. Come on, let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, forgive me where I've fallen. Cleanse me and save me from myself, the enemy, and this world. I believe you gave your life so I could live. You died on the cross. You shed your blood. You paid for my integrity. You were born again, raised from the dead, so I could be made new, just like you. So take my life and make it yours. May I follow you with all of my heart. From this day forward, deliver me and develop me. I surrender all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can you give God praise today?